This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Bleecker Street, presenting the new film, Disobedience. Rachel Weiss and Rachel McAdams are Roni and Esty, two childhood friends in a strict religious community who were separated after being caught in an illicit relationship. Years later, when circumstances reunite them, their passions are reignited as they push the boundaries of faith and sexuality. Alessandra Nivola also stars. From Sebastian Lelio, the Academy Award-winning director of A Fantastic Woman, and based on the novel by Naomi Alderman, now playing in select theaters. And it's a really good movie. Check it out. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, you're finally back from Las Vegas, at to go at CinemaCon. CinemaCon is really fun, and it's sort of overwhelming because you're seeing these uh, sizzle reels and lots of, in in many cases, many stars on video or in person talking about their movies that are coming up. And it's a way of looking at what the studios are doing and figuring out um, what's important to them, you know, what they think their big big movies are and, you know, what the shape of Hollywood is at this moment in time. And, of course, the theaters who are... uh, you know, <laughs> trying to stay alive uh, at this point, and uh, and everybody would go up on the stage and go, "We love movies. We love the theater experience. These movies are made for theaters." And 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 everybody would be, you know, touting the forty billion dollar box office that that is global, which is growing where the American box office is not growing at all. And you know, there's some interesting stuff going on with. Uh, you know, outside forces like Wanda owns the biggest theater chain, AMC, Wanda's from China, and you have this Cineworld from the UK owning the second biggest chain, which is Regal uh, now, and this sort of hard-charging Israeli guy is sort of stirring things up and might bring his version of Movie Pass to America for that chain. And that's the big story is how everybody's sort of learning from movie pass and taking things from it. Uh, Cinemark has its own uh, movie pass kind of, kind of uh, system with its uh, movie club. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how they're all adapting uh, to the world uh, around and seeing, seeing how, you know, what the big movies are. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fascinating to listen to it from afar because you get two different kinds of things. One is this like insidery industry conversation, as far as I can tell, where it's like, uh, you know, things like movie pass that seem like they're creating some new model for how people go to the movies. But then there's also like this big show that's put on to kind of entrance exhibitors, like, here's Cher singing the songs from Mamma Mia 2. You should definitely be excited about this one. And, you know, it's like, that's exactly right, stuff. and that was great—a great moment. That was one of the great moments. One of the other great. Well, I'm not excited for that movie, but, I, yeah, but it sounds like no, it was I, fun I anyway. It was <laughs> fun, and I'm sure the second one is even even worse. And it looks like Meryl Streep is in it, but um, the no, the the CGI. other great moment was was actually the first uh, sequence from The Lion King, the new John Favreau Lion King, which is being made pretty much the way he made Jungle Book. So. It's 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 like a live action digital version of of what was an animated film and and you see these amazing creatures 
and the, the circle of life and all of that. And it's one of the, there's few moments in the, in this thing where you would feel the hairs go up on the, on the back of your neck. And, and that was one of them. And then the other one for me, which was surprising was Bradley Cooper was there with Lady Gaga's, the movie that he's doing with Lady Gaga called the star is born, which he directed. And there's a moment in the clips where she sings and I, I had that same reaction. You what is Lady feel, Gaga singing? I mean, how surprised can you be that she sounds great, right? Uh, she, of course she sounds great. What it is, I don't know how to explain it to you. It's just one of those things where the, the, the materials are building up to him. She's, she's someone who's shy and she, she, she sings other people's material and he is, is, is a sort of an established star and he pulls her out on the stage to sing her own song that he's heard her sing and he makes her do it and she goes up in front of this huge crowd and she starts to sing and you go and you, you know, you you're, 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 you know, you feel it. I don't know. Well, I'm so curious about the reaction I'm to Star Wars. What do you want? No, I mean, it, and it's designed for suckers. And then that should be the tagline. Is another one. Well, that's the thing. It's like really it's all these big, these big showy movies where it's a, the question of whether or not the, those movies come out well is almost separate from whether or not you know audiences are going to go flock and be excited about them, right? I mean, it's the late with Lady Gaga, Star is Born, like buzz on this thing with Bradley Cooper, you know, getting behind the camera for the first time. It's been kind of hard to suss out exactly where this project is at, but it sounds like from an exhibition standpoint, the conversation is different from, you know, what critics might think of the end result. Same for I don't think, I, I, Eric, of course there's, there, this is the, the age old standoff. I mean, in other words, there are certain things that are critic proof, but um, in, a, in a case of like A Star is Born, that's a very proven story. I think it's been done like four times at this point, from Judy Garland and Janet Gaynor to, to Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. I mean, it, it's a question of, of something that has mainstream appeal, but it could rise above that. I actually put it, I just upgraded it on my Oscar chart. I think, I think it's, it's, it looks good to me. Well, it I'm looks also, like it goes the distance. I'm incredibly then, fasc fascinated and, by this uh, Lion King thing that you mentioned already because when you look at the cast list, which I have many times, I, I can't believe how many people are in this movie, that it's Donald Glover as Simba, Seth Rogen, Beyonce, Chiwetel Ford, James Earl Jones, Alfred Woodward. And they're all voicing. Yeah, it's uh, wild. You know, animated characters. Yeah, I just, I'm just fascinated by that because it feels like it's like some new scale of blockbuster attractiveness because it, it checks so many boxes. But of course, the movie has to work on some level and then they're sort of reinventing the Lion King brand for a new generation. I mean, how much of that did you actually glean from seeing bits of the movie? I'm just telling you that when they recreated the opening sequence, which you know all of us, all yes. of us know it. Hoisting him up. For beat, and, and you see, a, it, it looks real, okay? So you're seeing this thing that's familiar to you and, it's, um, and, it, and, it, and, it, and you know exactly how it fits with the song and when he's going to put the little red thing on the forehead and when he's going to take the little Simba and hold him up in front of this array of animals. You, you, it, it, it worked. 
it made me it made my skin shiver this is what i'm trying to explain yeah. it's real <laughs> yeah. whether whether he sustains that through the whole the whole movie um i i have a great deal of confidence now for example there was a movie in john favreau i have confidence uh as many people know jungle book i think is one of the great cinematic achievements <laughs> along with you know mad max or life of pi or something just on the cinematic Technical, Visual, yeah, technical level, yeah. you know. Yeah, VFX I mean, it's, level. It's, I mean, the other one that really looked good looked looked no. The other one that didn't look good at all was um, the unfortunate second Jungle Book movie called Mowgli, which yeah. uh, Andy Serkis has directed, and it has a great cast and Benedict Cumberbatch and all this, but it looked like a very sad, pale. I mean, that's been hanging up in, in limbo for a long yeah. time, so there's no surprise there. Yeah. I'm also curious about some of the weirder, edgier stuff that you got to, to see sneak peeks at, like there was Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan movie with Samuel that's potential. Jackson. That has potential. You basically have Sarah Paulson as a shrink in a hospital, and they've somehow uh, brought a hospital prison, we assume, and she somehow brought these three characters from Unbreakable and Split they're all sitting in front of her, Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, James McAvoy. <laughs> and they all have delusions of grandeur. Uh, they, they believe that they're superheroes. And, and she is, is the shrink who thinks that they're just human beings who are mentally ill. So that's an interesting setup. I mean, I it sounds very Shyamalan-ish, but what's kind of yeah. neat is that after Split, it does feel like the guy's got a second wind working on the appropriate scale for his storytelling, which is kind of idiosyncratic, but also very much like Hitchcockian. I mean, not like he's on that level, but it's very like dialogue driven in, in like close settings. And, and there's like w a weird kind of comic suspense element. And the, the twist in Split where it brought back this universe that he had abandoned a long time ago, I thought was just so well done. And so it's kind of exciting in a way, just as a, as a filmmaking gamble to see this universe continued. So, but it shows it shows what you know how influenced everyone is by these the idea of these extended worlds that go back over several films and can be continued into more. And and so you you see that. Um, uh, you know the the Marvel universe is is being you know they can't quite pull it off at the DC end of things, but you you see other people trying to do it as well. So tell um, me about um, Halloween. That was another Halloween one, looks really good. I loved seeing Jamie Lee Curtis up there. She was wearing this resplendent red suit. She looked terrific. And she basically explained that it's been 40 years since she was a 19-year-old in the original John Carpenter Halloween. And that she loved going back to play Laurie Strode as a grandmother who has daughters and granddaughters. And she's, she has to protect them from Michael Myers is somehow is going to get out of prison and come back to that same house on, on Halloween. And, and I, I will confess that in this uh, footage that they showed, <laughs> there was a moment, and it's written by David Gordon Green, who's really a good filmmaker and, and directed this. It, there's this moment where something pops out of somewhere, and I, I yelped, you know? Yeah, I hope there I aren't too it. many moments like that. I mean, David Green has never made a, a horror story. He was going to do a Suspiro remake for a while that now Luca Guagnino's done, but, but it's kind of... 
I'm so curious about it because he—that's a guy who's worked in so many different modes. Um, I think he's skillful. Yeah. I well, think he knows what he's Jordan doing. Jordan Peele good. made it. You know, Jordan Peele talked a lot when Get Out came out about how if you if you have comedy down, you can do horror well because they're both about eliciting a sort of visceral reaction from your audience. So I'm pretty curious and about, about that. They're about timing. They're about yeah. timing. I, and in the fact that it's like Blumhouse taking Halloween, you know, they they've done these weird kind of reboots for the movie that I think have been less successful over the years. The original one is just such a seminal work of genre storytelling. I can't. I, I think it's as long as they don't try to sort of, you know, reinvent whatever that movie was doing. As long as it feels like its own movie, that's something worth getting excited about. But I do love what what you're talking about in terms of this this idea of allowing Jamie Lee Curtis to kind of do the Harrison Ford thing and come back to exactly. this property. She's going to wreck revenge. She's learning how to use a gun. She's a good shooter. You know, she's not, this woman isn't going to let anybody mess with her or her family. And I, I can't, I actually can't, I, I knew her back in the day because I, 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 I was on the set of, of Halloween two. <laughs> I and the fog and and escape from New York. I was I was I I worked with John Carpenter in my publicity days. So yeah, it was it was fun. And he's still so, at it. He did the music and stuff, right? So it's yeah, uh, that's yeah. very exciting. I mean, no, but I, the other thing that I learned from it was I there were quite a few uh, Oscar you know potential movies that were being you know there there was footage being shown. So I learned that Widows, for example, which is a Fox film, big Fox, with that Steve McQueen directed with Viola Davis and Liam Neeson, big cast, really good cast, John Bernthal, all these people. It it, it is a um, it is it is a thriller. It is an action thriller. It's a heist movie. It's a genre movie. So it looks more like McQueen is moving into the commercial arena than necessarily aiming for some kind of Oscar play, which a lot of us assumed he was. Yeah, I'm I'm so curious about that. I mean, that sounds it's sort of unthinkable, but it's also on another level perhaps inevitable because if you look at McQueen's films to date, I mean He's he's worked in a sort of uh, very unnerving tone that makes him ideally suited to do suspense. I mean, even Hunger was very suspenseful in certain ways, or Shame is like a psychological thriller. So, you know, 12 Years a Slave may have been, you know, show, showed that he could grapple with, you know, these very consequential issues on a somewhat bigger scale. But at the same time, he is in some ways a genre filmmaker because he's interested in... You know, sort of evoking a visceral reaction in the viewer, but I, but I, but it, it, I think of him as, it's hard as a to real. Tell until we see I it. mean, I think of him I as mean, an Viola auditor Davis filmmaker. Could break out yeah, and she could be like, a big actress. You know, uh, obviously, no one ever discounts her. She's the she's the linchpin. She's the leader of a group of women. Their husbands have been put in jail, and and uh, for this big heist that went wrong, and there seems to be some amount of money somewhere that needs to be retrieved, and they're going to try to retrieve right. it. So it's a and, heist uh, movie. There's a lot of people trying to get to that money. It's as interesting well. to think that you have that movie and Ocean's Eight. You know, it's like two different kind of female-led heist movies. Yes, they're very similar. Although this one is dar a more darker kind Naturally. of uh, yeah. thriller drama. And that He's not going to make a light comedy or of any yeah. sort. It's also but interesting because... Also, but I, I would, I, one more thing. I think I think McQueen is, is an ambitious... I mean, I've You've talked to him. He's an ambitious guy. He is not, you know, he's going, this could be his play for making a commercial movie with good big 
juicy box office that gives him, you know, more leverage to get other things done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because he is somebody who, uh, only makes movies when he feels like it. I mean, not to say he tried to do an HBO series, but he's also been very much an active art in the, in the art world. He's had gallery installations and so forth in the past few years. And so, there is a sense of, you know, if Steve McQueen has, has finally made this movie, it had better count for something. You know, he is not a work for hire. He's not cranking no, stuff No, no, I'm not so. underestimating yeah. the, the power of this movie. I'm just, uh, I'm using, I'm, all right, Get Out proved that, and so did Shape of Water to a degree, that the Academy is looser about these genre judgments that they tend to make. But, you know, it has, again, it's what you, it, it has to elevate the genre if it's going to get to the Oscars, which isn't the whole, you know, he doesn't have to be, no. for example, the people at Focus Features are pretty clear that uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman isn't an Oscar contender, that it's coming out in the summer, even if it's playing at Cannes, even if he's getting the auteur treatment on the Riviera, it doesn't mean that, the, and, it, and when we see the, the footage at, at CinemaCon, it's a broad kind of comedy uh, treatment of this subject. It's not a straight drama. So that, that you know, he's he wants to get out and get people to see it. That's what... Yeah, I mean, look, it, there's been this slow and steady crawl in some ways of for Spike Lee to get back to making a movie that can kind of galvanize the national conversation. I think Chirac was an attempt at that that didn't totally get there but well, he maybe definitely was using well. his comedic chops there too yeah sure. but it was just a, such a strange movie i i don't know about black pansman i certainly didn't see this the the footage but i mean it seems interesting because it's so unfortunately timely in certain ways even though it's it's not a contemporary story we have to see so we have to we see the whole see movie indeed. and see how he's how always it, how interesting though another guy Abs it's like, i love spike yeah. i love spike he's i can't cool. wait to see it um and then and then uh, and if you know if, if if and then the other the other you know if it gets really well received and and everything goes a certain way then focus will change its tune you know you can always bring something back into the conversation if it's worthy of it you know yeah, um, no, that's true. That's and true. I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't. The, 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 one of the movies that could be interesting is Drew Goddard, who I think is a really gifted writer. He wrote The Martian, and he also d directed Cabin in the Woods. Has done something called Night at the El Royale, uh, Bad Night at the El Royale. Did, did you? Uh, I'm looking it up so it's I get it right. To get it on the record, otherwise wanna, the powers that be will be infuriated. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a high it's a thing where a group of seven it's bad times at the El Royale and seven strangers meet at this Lake Tahoe rundown hotel, which is a very strange and dark and mysterious place. And over the course of one night. Um, there, they have a shot at redemption, apparently, and it's Jeff Bridges and John Hamm and uh, you know this great cast. Uh, so that one looked promising—a kind of noirish, uh, kind of dark, edgy movie that looked like it could be fun. So while you were watching clips, I was at 
film festivals watching actual movies if you want to well, hear any Well, <laughs> to you too. Actual completed oh, Before feature. you go that, the, the, other, the other two movies that really look promising on the Oscar front are Beautiful Boy and Boy Erased, For sort sure. of predictable. I loved all those photos from the Beautiful Boy thing of Timothy Chalamet's giant head <laughs> from Skype. And they couldn't above. really hear him. It was like every other word was dropping out. And by the way, the Suspiria footage was was incredible with this bone crunching dance sequence with Dakota Johnson and this other woman in another room and whose body was being wrecked while she did this intense modern dance. Yeah. So I that looks feel promising. like it's it's weird. The you know guy's such a Very talented awesome. filmmaker. You should make an homage to Suspiria. Don't just like anyway. Different conversation. We'll see how the movie is. I was. Uh, Let's hear what you. Well, what you I was. Getting, I, I guess the reason I was thinking about that is I was just at a horror film festival called The Overlook over the weekend. Uh, I went last year and talked about it on the podcast when it was in Mount Hood, Oregon. It was in New Orleans this year, which was great fun, and uh, it was just it was just a nice opportunity to kind of hang out with that the more discerning members of that crowd. You know, it's very well program festival very tightly curated with like 20 some odd movies and um, I saw a good range of stuff I saw um, Darren Lynn Bowsman who did a bunch of the Saw movies had a great kind of nunsploitation type of a movie about a, a bunch of really crazy nuns who all live together called St. Agatha which uh, was just you know it had that torture porn element of the Saw movies but in a really fun kind of female-led cast that I think uh, helps kind of open that genre up a little bit in a way. And obviously it works better in that context. And then there was a really cool spinoff of the Puppet Master franchise, if you if you recall, kind of a, a silly movie from the 80s, but it was neat to see that come back in its own sort of way with a really fun Udo Kier performance. But really the, the, the neat thing about my time there from a movie perspective was revisiting Hereditary, uh, the A24 horror movie that I saw at Sundance, with this really intense Tony Collette performance and talking to the filmmaker Ari Aster, who is passing on all these interesting big movie offers because he's getting his next project off the ground. And when this film opens in June, it really does seem like it could be a massive, massive hit for A24. It's a very, very effective horror movie. And just talking to people who saw it. For well, the you first talked time. about it at Sundance, yeah. right? And it was just, and it played so well this sec on this. It's only played a few places, Sundance, South by and here. And, um, Tony Collette is just t at the top of her craft. So it yeah, is not the question there again is, 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 uh, there's some Oscar hype on that. And, and I always, you know, I haven't seen it yet, so I, I have to see it, but, uh, and I want to, um, but it's really, uh, a question of, of does she does she rise above of does she again does she rise above the genre you know yeah I know I, I mean I think what's interesting about this movie is I talked to some people who are not diehard genre people who who just ended up going to the closing night stream for Hereditary and even though it freaked them out they really liked it so I think the movie has crossover potential in that non horror people will be like this is a horror movie that I'll subject myself to because it's just it's a it's a really spooky Rosemary's Baby-ish haunted ha house movie with a family drama element at its core, and so Colette just acts circles around the the kind of more you know uh, genre-y elements of the material and kind of elevates it. So that's what pe people are going to come out of it, and they're going to say, "Wow, she really 
put herself into this role and they're not going to forget the movie anytime soon. It's going to keep them up at night. So there is kind of a perfect storm there. And and if you, th- if you look at the way, you know, well-reviewed horror movies can sort of have long legs, I think there's just, it seems ideal. So, uh, so that was kind of neat to see that happen. And, and what was interesting is then I went back to New York and the Tribeca Film Festival has been ongoing. And, um, it was, it was a decent year overall, but, but, um, I wouldn't say it was the genre stuff that really stood out. The The big winner was actually a film directed by Kent Jones, the, who runs the New York Film Festival. Yeah, so, that was a surprise. Yeah, but actually not a surprise having seen a lot of the music. It was the best film I saw in the competition um, with Mary Kay Place. It's this older woman who uh, is sort of dealing with all these family problems. Her son is, is, is a young man with a drug addiction. Her best friend is dying and all this kind of stuff kind of crumbling. It's really just like kind of a, a very muted character study, but incredibly well acted, very kind of quietly paced. And so relative to a lot of the other stuff I saw, there were some interesting other films like Miguel Arteta had a new film with Alia Shawkat that was decent, kind of charming, lesbian romance story. But but Diane was the... the definitely stood out and it got me thinking about how different festivals work in this country like the overlook had you know this horror crowd that elevates horror movies and here you have something where it's like a movie that at Sundance might get kind of buried because it doesn't have huge stars or a big obvious hook stands out in Tribeca just by being perhaps one of the better movies in competition it's not a knock on Tribeca's programming per se but it's just it might be better for a movie that could get buried somewhere else to stand out if it's really good. And so, you know, every festival has its own context and it can seem sort of insular sometimes, but it really is kind of fascinating the ramp up to Cannes to see how different kinds of festivals can elevate movies in different kinds of ways. And it's just so separate from the way that movies stand out in our culture at large. Because also this past week, I saw the new Avengers movie. So I'm not going to spoil that for you here, but it's a world apart from uh, from everything else that, I, that I've been seeing over the last can you years. Can you, uh, what I've picked up on, and, and again, I was, I was out of town, so I missed the Avengers premiere. Um, uh, can, you, can you explain, it sounds like it has a, a one thing going uh, for, the, for part of the movie, and then there's a big twist and something else happens at the end that is the spoiler everybody's trying to avoid giving away. Is that is that right? So there are actually... I have lost track of even how to define spoilers for this movie, and I think when you see it, you'll know what I mean. And it does open today, so... Yeah, and, yeah. and so it's it's going to get out there, but I think what's, what's interesting is that a couple of months back, I heard rumors that there was, you know, a, a Han Solo in Star Wars type of moment in this movie. And so I was sort of waiting for that moment and then certain things started to happen and I was like, was that the Han Solo moment? Oh no, maybe it was that thing. And you realize, look, this movie is two and a half hours long. There's a lot of stuff that happens. It's also, it's a ginormous corporate product that is the culmination of a 10 year gamble in 18 movies trying to fold all that stuff into it. I wouldn't even say it necessarily work. It certainly doesn't work on its own. If you've never seen a Marvel movie, that would be so confusing. You'd be like, wait, why are they over in this 
African nation and now we're in space and now it just keeps jumping through all this stuff. But what's kind of fascinating is that it's it, by virtue of all these movies they've done, you're, you are oriented. And so it's the first time that you really see what comic book storytelling has been doing for decades really coming to fruition is that you can tell these giant sprawling stories in a feature length format without necessarily worrying about all the backstory. Now, does does all of it work? I don't think so. I think it's a, it's definitely too busy and, and, and it goes too long and, and a lot of characters kind of get short-shrifted, but I do really like the way it ends because I think it's going to leave a lot of people confounded. It's going to provoke a lot of different kinds of reactions. And um, even if they're trying to kind of fuel this narrative that it's the big finale, that's BS. There's another Avengers movie coming in 2019 and this sets the stage for it in a very explicit way. So don't expect to get any kind of closure from this movie, but it's definitely worth seeing as somebody who watches Marvel movies because I think you're going to get a lot out of just what they're trying to well, do story-wise. I've seen them all. I'm yeah, looking exactly. forward to it. It, yeah. it killed me that I couldn't be <laughs> yeah. at once. It's, it's kind of fascinating. It's like, do you want to talk about the movies coming out later this year or the ones coming out on Friday? You know, oh, sort of. by the way, they did show some footage from Solo at uh, CinemaCon. It was a scene between Donald Glover uh, and uh, who, who's who's the young Lando. Oh, yes, thank you. And then and then you have so they're playing a, a version of poker, and um, and Amelia uh, Clark from Game of Thrones is this sort of alluring young woman who is very dazzling and solo is is obviously trying to impress her and he 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 sits down and he wants to get lando's ship that's what he wants and he wants to to win it at this game of chance well, i'm super curious and about it i mean it, it's, it's just really, it's really hard to tell work. I'm sure there will be some good stuff there. I mean, the whole movie works, but I can say that that scene worked and, yeah, I mean, and it, it looked fine. There, there have to be. I, I expect there will be some payoff in this movie and some things to appreciate about its casting and about its world and and you know whatever Ron Howard did is probably safer than whatever those uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were trying to do. So. Well, yeah, a lot of what see. they did is in the movie. I mean, right. that's the thing you have to remember. I mean, they 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 didn't you know throw it out, right. and they were pretty close to being done when they got thrown off. So yeah. <laughs> it's a it's got Phil and Lord. You know, it's got Phil Lord and uh, it's got Lord and Miller in there. But right. the 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 part that I think makes may make it work is is that this this solo is a lot younger. Than, than the other one and and so he's 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 got bravado and he's got a lot of those those you can already see some of the the characteristics of, of solo that we know but it, it's he's, he's proving himself he's a younger yeah. guy yeah. they just keep getting younger these franchises nobody gets to age into a role it's kind of a, well unless you're robert downey jr maybe that's one exception in any well, case uh, well, <laughs> all right well, you shall so, you'll uh, see you'll see so you next will week, be in Paris next yes, week, is that right? I, I will be in Paris, sort of in my slow ramp up to Cannes, adjusting to the time zone, hopefully seeing maybe a couple of movies early. We, we'll, we'll see about that. and um, But we'll have plenty more to anticipate. It'll be our, our last uh, recording before 
the insanity of Cannes, so, so I'm sure we'll have much to dig through, and I hope that this weekend you get a chance to rest up because there's not going to be a whole lot of that in the, in the weeks ahead. No, there isn't. I look forward, though. Con is, con is always fun. It always is. All right. Bye-bye, Eric. Have a good weekend.